sensation and sounds built to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. In honor of Women's History Month, we at Well and Good are running a series throughout the month of March reflecting on our evolving understanding of the gender binary and how the concepts of feminism and womanhood mean different things to different folks. From feminist writers, advocates, and public figures, we're passing the mic and highlighting what womanhood means to some of our favorite voices in wellness, the good, the bad, and the complicated. I'm senior producer Taylor Camille, and on today's episode, we're featuring Sonikiwe Diluweo and Anusha Wijayakuma in conversation about what feminism means to them as people who reside in bodies of color. I am Sonikiwe Stephanie Diluweo, and I am the founder of Naya. Naya is a company that exists at the intersection of social justice and well-being in order to center bodies of color, those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I am elated to be chatting with Anusha today, and we are going to talk about feminism and what feminism means to us in this moment as people who reside in bodies of color. Anusha, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I would love to. Thank you, Sinikiwe. My name is Anusha Wijayakuma, and I am an author, a speaker, and a woman of color in STEM. I lead on integrative medicine and meditation and mindfulness for the Women's Health Institute at Hoke Hospital in Orange County. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you here with me today. Anush, what is bringing you joy in this moment? Joy. I think that you know, it's a question, honestly, that I pose to myself each day as part of my own daily sadhana spiritual practice. And I think amidst all of the suffering that we've had, you know, specifically over the past few years with the global pandemic, with continued racial injustices, etc., it's difficult, right, to, to find joy. But to me, Where there is suffering, there is also joy. And I think those are fundamental principles of yoga philosophy. As I teach yoga, this is, you know, a part of my indigenous and ancestral wisdom. So for me, it's about trying to embrace joy in the small moments of my day. And, you know, however large or small that looks, it's really important that we take time out to experience that joy within so we can express it externally. What about yourself? I'm not going to lie. It's been really challenging as of late. It had a a death in the family recently. And 
you know, some days are definitely better than others. But I think, and we'll get into this a little bit later as well, it's very hard to, you know, especially within the work that you do and the work that I do, where you are constantly grappling with reality as it is, right? And not the maybe fabricated reality that exists for so many other folks in wellness, right? And so when you're dealing with reality and yeah, the duality of it being like, life is beautiful. I am grateful for it. And also it is really fucking hard to be a human in this moment. So holding space for both of those things in equal measure, I think has been my practice as of late. And I think it's also difficult, you know, certainly uh, for myself, once we, you know, feel joy, we feel sometimes guilty about that. And so I think it's also an integral part of our practice to be letting go of any feelings of guilt and embracing ourselves to be open to feeling joy and deep joy, especially for Black, Indigenous, and people of color over the past few years. We need to feel joy. In fact, to me, joy is a part of a form of resistance, quite frankly, to white supremacy. And reminding myself of that daily through meditation, through mindfulness, through yoga philosophy, and just trying to live it to the best of my ability. And to your point, you know, each day is different. It's really hard. It certainly has been for me to feel joy. And, and, you know, when I'm feeling it, sometimes it can be fleeting or there's the guilt associated with it. And to me anyway, that's why the actual philosophy of yoga is fundamental and pivotal to a, a wellness practice. And that focus, as I know that we'll get into, around intersectionality and wellness. Yeah, no, I concur. So I'd love to just start out our conversation with a definition of feminism as it is at present. So feminism itself is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of equality of the sexes. And the first thing that comes to mind, especially as we are redefining, or shall I say even blowing up the paradigm of what it means to exist within a gender binary. What does feminism look like to you? Feminism, to be really honest, isn't a word that I ever felt included in. So it was never something that I called myself. I just felt, you know, growing up through the years that feminism was a word that really centered whiteness and white women specifically. And so for me as a highly melanated South Asian woman, I just never saw myself represented in the scope of feminism. And that's why for me, the work of Kimberly Crenshaw and that lens of intersectionality has been pivotal to feeling more seen, to feeling more heard. And having that lens of intersectionality when it comes to wellness specifically, which has been so ableist and heteronormative and elitist and whitewashed. And so consistently trying to redefine the narrative around feminism to have more diversity and representation. Since feminism as it is, and I, I agree with you, it is in my mind definitely an agent of white supremacy. Do you believe that there is room for it to be redefined or that it can be intersectional? Or do you feel as though the word in itself has got to go? Because I kind of feel as though the word itself has got to go. It's <laughs> like, it, yeah. like, I love that. 
no, real talk. Like, it's not like, who is this word for? Because it's really yeah. not for most people. So, like, yeah. if we're going to cancel anything, maybe we should cancel the word feminism. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. And, you know, I love that. And I love you for putting it so bluntly and boldly because you're right. I think for many of us that have been historically and intentionally marginalized and underrepresented from this group, this paradigm of feminism, it still hasn't really changed. And so what do we call it and how do we redefine it? And that's why for me, to be really honest, I don't use that word. I don't call myself, you know, yes, we can say that we're teaching through a feminist lens, but to me, that's always through the lens of intersectionality. And I prefer that word more because I feel more represented. And I feel that that is in itself trying to dismantle so much of the harm that's come from the feminist movement. I don't want to say agree but again because it's so redundant, but I agree with you. And I think what comes up for me in this conversation is how I think of really small examples, right? So thinking of even voting and so many white women that I know or that are in my universe have been very vocal about, oh, like voting, what does voting matter, right? And things of the comments of that sort where I'm just like, wait, what? Like, what? You're not even, you're not even voting. Like I, you know what I mean? And I think again, as a black woman, the way that the system is set up, as we know, it is not set up for us as black indigenous and people of color to excel. And so when I hear glib comments made about people that don't have to vote because it's not going to affect their day to day. It's really heartbreaking. And I wonder how you approach this idea of eschewing the status quo, because it's something that I'm constantly thinking of and how to buck the system and go against it, especially in the context of the wellness industry, which is also very much I would say an agent of whiteness from how diet culture is approached to how a lot of brands operate and who they center in their conversations. So how would you say that you eschew the status quo? For me, eschewing the status quo is really about adopting a decolonial mindset with everything. Now, you know, as you know, I teach a lot about the importance of decolonization when it comes to yoga and wellness. But what I say when asked about this question all the time, because, you know, decolonization now is trending. It's a hot topic. <laughs> Everybody seems to want to write about it. But we really have that same commitment when it comes to truly adopting that decolonial mindset and decolonizing quite frankly, the lens through which we view the world, because that's what we need to do. And every day we see countless examples of white supremacy and racism and anti-blackness, not just in yoga and wellness, but around the world. And so to me, when people say, oh, talking about, you know, decolonization and anti-racism is creating division, that, again, is that upholding the paradigm of, of white supremacy, because perhaps to you it is, because you've been either benefiting or profiting 
of the commercialization of, you know, ancient indigenous spiritual practices. So of course you don't want to disrupt the status quo because why would you? And to that point, I think it's also important to have some nuance that, you know, black indigenous and people of color unknowingly or knowingly can also uphold systems of white supremacy. So to me, this is a continued effort for us all because, and we see this with with what's happening in terms of the education system in America, the banning of books, specifically those written by black authors. We have to decolonize everything and begin from there. And Burn if it we all down. Have... Burn it all <laughs> down. Just burn it down. Because if we can all have a true commitment to unlearning and relearning, we're going to create a world that is more just that is dismantling systems of oppression, that is focused on altruism versus egoism. But to that end, then, I'm, I'm very curious because I think in American culture, it is even in how we interact with one another and the relationships and community that we do cultivate, and I use the term community very loosely, it is all very transactional. People just enter into relationship in order to you know, like what, what is the other person going to do for me? Right. Or even in the context of community and how community has become this term that is marketed when for me, how I view community is how do you show up to be in relationship with folks and to care for them? That's how I deem community. And so I'm wondering if it should be the burden of those who are historically marginalized to to be pursuing liberation like why should that work I guess fall on us is where I often come back to and I think let's be honest the burden always falls on us that's the truth of the lived experiences that we all have as black indigenous and people of color and I think to me the question that I keep kind of asking myself is and and wondering, everybody wants an ally, but not everybody wants to be an ally. Not everybody wants to be an accomplice to change. And I think the more that we can, you know, we see these terms bandied about all the time in wellness, you know, one love, we are all one, love and light. And these are, again, those empty slogans that are propped up by capitalism, which is a byproduct of white supremacy, that ultimately are meaningless if we're not trying to do anything to try to create a world where we can all be one and appreciate and respect the differences whilst understanding that we may all be one in terms of collective consciousness and yoga philosophy, but that certainly isn't the world that we live in. So what are each and every one of us doing with our privilege? And to me, it's, you know, it's not an issue in the sense of having privilege, but what are each of us doing, especially the dominant culture, to your point, with their privilege? to dismantle these systems of oppression and to be an ally beyond trending hashtags, beyond the black square, because we've seen this, Saniki, where we've seen the room emptying when it comes now to conversations around anti-racism or decolonization. And, you know, is that a true commitment or is it seasonal? Is it for a time? And again, you know, I, I keep coming back to the philosophy of yoga because that's what gives us the drive to continue to do the work. And it's work. And and certainly for those of us that are not part of the dominant culture, 
So the questions that we should be asking ourselves as part of our own kind of daily spiritual practice are what are we doing to be an ally to others versus always wanting to have an ally? And how are we disrupting these systems, especially the dominant culture, to create lasting change? To that point, then, what would you say liberation looks like? aside from decolonization in the true sense of the word and not just the lip service that is being paid to it via all of these think pieces that are happening in this moment. The philosophy of yoga, certainly in the classical yoga text by Sage Patanjali, the Yoga Sutras, teaches us a path of liberation. Now, that path of liberation is, is an individual path. However, in the time that we are in, individual liberation is intimately connected to collective liberation. We cannot have one without the other. And we see this, that the global pandemic, I saw this as a woman in science, the global pandemic clearly illustrated how much we need each other to survive. And furthermore, how much we need each other to not just survive, but to thrive. So the more that we can move away from this rife individualism that, let's be honest, is everywhere in wellness and help to dismantle these notions of me, me, me. And again, moving away from that sense of egoism to altruism and actually deconstruct wellness as it has been presented to us in the West and move towards collective well-being versus individual well-being. Because that's where true love and compassion lie. you know, as you mentioned, the quest for liberation is individual and also collective. So within that, how do you cultivate a soft place for others to land? That certainly, let's be honest, hasn't been easy, Uh, especially for those of us that are not part of the dominant culture. That's something that I've struggled with, living in a community that has been so rooted in white supremacy. And this is the yoga and wellness community. And I lean on my practice, really, I do. And I think, you know, again, bringing it back to the philosophy of yoga, it teaches us to focus on what we can control and let go of attachment to specific outcomes, but also let go of what we can't control. And there are some people that don't want to adopt a decolonial mindset and never will. But then there are others who do. So to me, in my own life, and certainly as an educator, as a professor of yoga philosophy at San Diego State University with my students there or at the various platforms that I teach as part of, it's about showing up to share my ancestral wisdom and my own kind of lived experiences with those who have a true and genuine commitment and willingness to unlearn and relearn. And that isn't going to be everybody. And for me, I came to America over 11 years ago. I'm, you know, born in London in the UK. I come from the UK, but I've lived in four countries. But America over the past few years was a very different America for me anyway, to the America that I moved to. And so a lot has come to the forefront around these conversations. And and like I mentioned, I live in a community that is very white. It's made national news, Orange County, California, for all of the wrong reasons, be it with uh, white supremacy and racism, be it with the anti-vaccination movement. 
And so it's trying to hold space for everybody because to me, is it productive for any of us to constantly just be in our own echo chamber? And and my answer to that is no. So it's important that I am listening to people that have different opinions and different lived experiences to myself, but also being clear about boundaries with those who refuse to be open to listening to another viewpoint or refuse to dismantle their own internalized and externalized racism and white supremacy. And that's all that we can do. You know, recently on uh, my social media, I had a few people saying, you know, I, I agree with almost everything that you say. And I would really like people to not agree with almost everything that I say, because I follow many people. I don't agree with everything that they say or that they share, but I learn a lot from that. And it's really important that we get out of our own echo chambers and that we speak with people that have differing opinions to us because we don't all have to agree. And I think we're in this place where everything has become so divisive. You know, how do we find a path forward? And there may be some people that we're never going to be able to find a path forward with, and that's okay. And through our practice, and I do this daily, we can send them love and compassion. It doesn't mean that we need to go and hug them and and become their best friend. It just means that we're not holding on to that, you know, what we call in yoga philosophy, the kleshas, the mental afflictions or poisons of the mind that are around our own delusion, our own egoism, our own attachment. And how are we able to work on getting to the root cause of our own suffering to liberate ourselves and in turn spread that awareness to those around us within our own communities and wider societies? But I'd love to hear from you around, you know, you're living on the other side of America, (laughs) around your experiences about, you know, the same question that you've just asked me. I mean, I think it's been challenging in the sense of, you know, I worked in corporate America for longer than I should have, let's just say. And within that experience, dealing with an onslaught of racism and harassment, And then to that end, um, not being in a place financially where I could just leave that situation and that took a toll on my mental health. And then now being on the opposite end of it and maybe not being as resourced as I would like to be, but having the capacity to be selective, right, about who I work with and who I engage with, especially within this work. And one thing that I came to during Black Square Summer, as I call it, was that although the work of decolonizing wellness is part of what I do, I am also not going to be the one to force you to see differently, right? Like if you are adamant about being anti-Black or if you are adamant about being racist or saying things are nuanced that are actually just not nuanced at all, it is not my purpose in life to make you change your mind, right? Like people get so set in their thinking and thought process, even to your point about books now being banned by Black authors, right? And I read, I think, it, I don't know if it was a meme or what it was, but people, someone was saying how the people who were in the photos of 
when they were harassing the black children that were now coming into these white schools, those are the same grandparents and elders who are now trying to ban books, right? And that really hit home in a lot of ways. It's like, wow, yes, of course you're not going to want the truth to be told if the truth portrays you in a light that isn't the best, right? So I think it's important to absolutely get out of our own echo chambers and make space for conversation. And also, I don't want that burden to be placed on me, especially with folks who are adamant about staying the same. Yes, exactly. Because ultimately, to me, is that a good, right use of energy? That's the question that I ask myself. And if people are unwilling to change their minds or be open to having a dialogue, then there's no point. And I have really practiced that myself a lot more over the past few years too. And just kind of being mindful of that and being mindful of my own energy. And I think social media to me has been a great place to connect with people from around the world, particularly over the past few years, But at the same time, it can be a vortex that kind of sucks you in and takes up a lot of time and space. And so it's also important to be mindful around that. Are we engaging with people in a productive way or are we just depleting ourselves? And, you know, when we think about liberation, we have to also be prioritizing our own methods of self-care and methods of healing. So then what comes next? What comes next when the news that we get is consistently horrendous? How much more space can I make? How much more capacity do I have to keep going? You know? Yes. And it's it's exhausting. And quite frankly, I wouldn't be able to have just got through the days of just life over the past few years without my meditation practice. That is honestly what has upheld me. Being a mother to a three-year-old as well, so it's not just my own personal care. I'm, I'm responsible for somebody else. We don't sadly have family nearby that can help. So yeah, I think it's important for those of us that are also carers to hold space for ourselves in the times that we are in. And I work in cancer care. You know, I work with breast and ovarian cancer patients who have been incredibly stressed. I work in maternal mental health. The needs of all of my patients have increased tenfold over the past two years specifically. So it's being able to hold space for them. So, you know, what I do every morning is I make sure I rise before my son to meditate, to engage in mantra, to engage in pranayama, conscious breath work, to read Uh, a sutra a day from Sage Pathanjali's Yoga Sutras because I need to for my own mental health and well-being. And so what I invite, you know, people who are listening to do is to prioritize your own, you know, self-care, spiritual practice, however that looks for you, and to maintain a routine with that. And, you know, for me, and I say this to my patients all the time, We all have five minutes. Don't delude yourself into thinking that you don't. You've got five minutes. You know, 
we have five minutes to spend watching the endless YouTube videos and, you know, the, the endless stream of the negative news cycle or the animal memes. But don't delude yourself into thinking that you don't have five minutes to spend in meditation because you do and it can and will change your life. I see this all the time with the work that I do in evidence-based clinical medicine and clinical research at Hoag. And so part of it is we have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others and in order to focus on collective healing and well-being. And we need that now more than ever. I mean, I'd love to hear from you, but finally also, I found myself in 2020 just watching the news cycle every night. That was my routine. And I put a boundary in place in 2021 to not do that anymore because it wasn't the most productive way to go to sleep. So it's important that we have those boundaries with ourselves. We can be plugged into the world without being on social media or, or the news cycle 24 seven and trying to maintain boundaries with ourselves and others so we can do what we need. And that's gonna look different for all of us in order to you know, release our own pain and trauma and suffering and be of service in this world. I mean, I think for me, the big boundary that I've set is that it, it's really hard when you are creative and you constantly have ideas and, you, you know, an outlet that I've used for those ideas is social media. And now I've, one, knowing also the algorithms are biased. And so spending so much time creating content and expressing myself on platforms that are only going to stifle that information, not worth the time. Two, in terms of like a, a routine that I follow, eh, we don't really have one these days. I mean, I think the biggest thing that's getting me through is just re-watching Shows that I've watched a bajillion times. So Sex and the City is one of those shows. Gilmore Girls is one of those shows. It's the type of thing where it's like you're watching it and engaged with it, but you already know what's happening. So, you know, you're not really putting in any additional effort, which I love. It's like, oh, yeah, I could basically recite all of the words in this TV show. That has been very helpful for me. But yeah, I think pulling back in terms of offering what I'm offering folks in terms of my time. And one of the ways I think that really shows up is folks who are inquiring about working together and wanting to get on a call. Y'all, it could be an email. It does not have to be a call, like I would say 85% of the time, right? Unless you are locked in and you know that you want to work on a certain project together, like we don't need to get on a call. I really feel like people would be so much happier if they just decreased the number of phone calls um, they got on. And then as for the work, I mean, I think what keeps me passionate and driven to do this work is working with young people and knowing that, you know, even though they are super connected and tapped in via social media and technology, that they are still young. And a lot of the things that I know now, I, I wish I had someone who could have guided me when I was younger. It would have been so helpful. And I think that unfortunately for people in bodies of color, it's only going to get worse just given that it's been a weird to see the pendulum swing in the opposite way, right? We went from I'm listening and learning about race and racism and being anti-racist to now we're banning books, right? 
so that happened in a very short amount of time. And so my, I'm, I'm hyper aware of showing up for young people who have to be in spaces where people don't want them to be. And also knowing that I can be of support, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think that what you've shared is is really, really helpful. And I too have become much clearer with boundaries around work. And <laughs> also <laughs> not scheduling, like you said, the 500 calls a week that people want to do, which to your point can be done via email. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's nice to connect with people, but also it's time consuming at, to do so. And I've just become much firmer about saying no, even when people don't like it. And I think in yoga and wellness spaces, I would say more than other spaces that I work in, people say, oh, you know, it's fine if you say no, but then don't actually like it when you say no. Oh, absolutely. And- <laughs> the pushback. Oh my goodness. The amount of pushback is insane. But I think I've also just reached a point and you know again if you're in consensus and you know you want to work on a project together absolutely like let's connect to work out the finer details but if you are turned off by the fact that I'm asking you to detail something in an email versus getting on a call with me right away then I don't know if you're someone that I need to work with you know what I'm saying yeah and you know the other thing that I have learned over the years is, you know, people always reveal themselves. And I think it's very easy to project a certain image of oneself on social media. Nobody, everybody's playing the A side of the record for the most part. Nobody's playing the B side. And I think that's really important as well. I see this all the time in yoga and wellness, people projecting certain images of themselves that really aren't the case. And and to me, Are we all trying to be as genuine and as authentic as we can? And I think, you know, within the wellness space, we need to really focus on letting go of that egoism because, you know, like we're both experienced, people seem to talk a lot about boundaries and setting boundaries and being clear with boundaries, but then not really being respectful with other people's boundaries and with those boundaries being set. And so I think part of that is is that aspect of decolonization of, okay, I can write a nice post about it and I can make a great picture about it or whatever it is or a reel, but am I actually living that message? Am I taking that off my social media and into my daily life? Because that's the practice. And I think that that is the key, right? I think there's so much pontificating, especially in online spaces. And it's like, yo, just, just do what you said you were going to do. That's it. Like the, the nap, uh, her, she goes by the moniker, the nap bishop, but she speaks about this all the time and how her practicum is around rest, right? And people resting. And she, she says, she's like, instead of writing that long caption on Instagram, like go rest go do the thing. And it's so resonant with me because it's just like, I am the person like I love to do the most, like, just give me an idea. I'm going to run with it. It's going to be big and grandiose. And I've just come to the point and it's just like, sometimes you can just do less and that's okay. Like you don't always have to go crazy with it. Right. So I would absolutely love to see 
less talk and a lot more action. Before we close up, how can people support your work in this moment? So there are details that I believe will be shared of my book, Meditation with Intention, quick and easy ways to find inner peace with forward by my esteemed colleague and dear friend, Dr. Sadia Khan, who is the breast oncoplastic surgeon and director of our breast cancer survivorship program at Hogue. That really details a lot of what we've talked about, you know, bite-sized chunks of how we can live with intention, how we can live more mindfully and how we can find more peace within which quite frankly, we all need more of in the times that we are in. And part of, you know, divesting from white supremacy and the overly kind of capitalist, commercialized and commoditized ways of perceiving yoga and wellness is to support my Patreon, which is really a community that came about after my InStyle article that I wrote a few years ago about the rise of white supremacy in yoga. And it's a way to come together as a community in a virtual satsang with people from around the world who have a deeper commitment to decolonization and anti-racism work, as well as being pro-science, because, you know, being a woman of color in science, the rise of anti-science rhetoric has deeply disheartened me over the past few years. And a lot of that has been perpetuated and peddled within the yoga and wellness space. Absolutely. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you. And how can we support your work? I mean, the biggest thing is I am trying to build a movement platform. So a digital web-based portal and then also an app aims to, again, in line with the work that I do, but really center movement as a practice for life, right? Instead of working under the assumption that we move our bodies to change it, what if it could be that you just wanted to move your body because you wanted to feel strong or you wanted to feel joyous? And so I'm in the process of crowdfunding for that. And so in this moment, that would be the biggest way to support. I love the work that you were doing and I'm so grateful that we got to connect. One of the wonderful byproducts of social media has been meeting you and other like-minded individuals and especially black women who are doing much needed and vital work in this space. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. On today's show, you heard from Sonikiwe Dilawayo and Anusha Vijayakuma. This episode was produced by Ella Dove and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, share. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt Didomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.